Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. Tonight, we're very pleased to welcome Milkshake Connoisseur, Randy Henderson. Henderson is the Golden Pen Grand Prize winner of the Writers of the Future for 2014. He joins us tonight to discuss and sign the follow-up to his hit debut, Fin Fancy Necromancy, Bigfoot Loose, and Fin Fancy Free. So please join me in welcoming Randy Henderson. So, uh, welcome. Thank you all for coming. Um, I am Randy Henderson, um, and I am here to read from and promote my new book, Bigfoot Loose and Fin Fancy Free. Um, it is it is being uh, marketed as a, a dark and quirky urban fantasy, I think because it's kind of a little hard to classify otherwise. It's contemporary fantasy, which is the term used when people believe that urban fantasy is dead or not marketable anymore than it's contemporary fantasy. Um, and uh, But I think that fits a little better anyway because it's not really urban. It's not really in a, in a city. It's kind of in a small seaside town for the most part. So, um, And uh, <clears throat> this is a reading, so I will be reading. That's sort of obligatory at a reading that I read. So uh, I will make it not eye-glazy, though. And uh, it is uh, from kind of middle-ish of the book. So try to pick a point that wasn't too spoilery for, for book one or book two, which was a bit of a trick, um, but also, you know, entertaining. Um, and just to set it up, so uh, in case you haven't read book one, Finn Fancy Necromancy, uh, in book one, uh, Finn is exiled from our world. His spirit is exiled for 25 years to the Fey Other Realm for a crime he didn't commit. Um, and he's returning to our world in 2011 in, in that book um, and is immediately framed for another crime and has to clear his name. And uh, and he comes from a family of necromancers. Um, uh, their family business is basically a magical mortuary. And he, uh, you know, and necromancy is not romancing the dead. It is uh, uh, the ability to summon spirits, control spiritual energies, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so, book one is just kind of a it's a fast paced romp, um, <laughs> and uh, pretty consistently described as fast paced and funny. Book two, Bigfoot Loose and Fancy Free, is when I realized, oh man, this is going to be a series. So. Uh, I need to really flesh things out and, and build a solid foundation for a series. So in book two now, he's, he's kind of – he's not running for his life as much. Um, and uh, he's, so we get to dig a little deeper into the world and into the, uh, the way the magic works, the different factions. Um, and uh, so to set up this reading, I'll, I'll mention that there are three basic factions in the world. Uh, there are you know humans, which include – the mundanes um, and the arcana, who are the magic users. Um, mundanes aren't aware of the magical world in, in my reality. And um, <clears throat> and then, so we have arcana, magic, human magic users. You have fey blood creatures, who are all the creatures of myth. Then you have the fey, who live in the other realm and don't really come into this reading much. Um, 
Another uh, thing to understand this bit of reading, and this is a bit of a spoiler for book one, so I apologize, but uh, he's, 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 uh, he's <laughs> dating Dawn. And um, so for those of you who had Team the Other Person t-shirts, I apologize. But um, if, you, if you, you know, complain loud enough, I'll write a short, an alternate history short story for you where, where they get together, I guess. Um, but he's dating Dawn and, uh, um, and uh, for reasons – which I won't go into. He, he doesn't necessarily uh, remember all of their uh, youth together. Um, and at this point in my reading, he has spent the morning trying to find true love for a Sasquatch, and uh, that led him into the midst of a Feyblood rebellion and wackiness ensued. So he has, he's had a busy morning, and now he's going into town to see his girlfriend Dawn uh, perform. She's a musician uh, at, the, at the local hangout. And this is set in Port Townsend in Washington. So without further ado, Bigfoot Loose and Fin Fancy Free by Randy Henderson. (laughs) The shops and galleries of Water Street were closed for the day, so most of the tourists had gone home or returned to their hotels, boats, or Fort Warden campground. I was beginning to recognize the locals again, though nothing like in the old days. A subway-style covered stairwell marked the entrance to the undertown. A club tucked safely down at basement level off of one of the passengers... Passages once used to Shanghai soldiers and smuggle goods. My sister, Sammy, stood beside the stairs smoking a clove cigarette. She had short-cut black hair and thick black glasses and wore a Rat City Roller Girls t-shirt. Hey, sis, I said, come for the show? No, I heard that if you stand in this exact spot, you'll attract really dumb questions. So far, the rumors seem true. Good to see you, too. Fatima come with you? Yeah, she's inside. Cutting it close, aren't you? I had a busy day. In fact, maybe you can lend me a hand. Sammy was allergic to magic, which had created some tensions and resentments growing up, but had also led to her becoming a truly skilled hacker of not just Mundy Tech, but a lot of magical systems as well. Sammy snorted. I'm not running interference with Dawn if you screwed up with her. She's my friend too, you know. And probably still will be, long after you've screwed things up with her so bad the art comes in and wipes her memories of you, you idiot. I rolled my eyes. You look like a normal person, but actually you are the angel of death. Where do I know? Oh, wow. Quoting when Harry met Sally. She patted me on the head. Look at you learning new things. Next thing you know, you'll only be 20 years out of date. And you'll still be a brat. I don't need help with Dawn, but I could use some info on an alchemist and a few other folks, some of them Feybloods. Sammy dropped her clove butt and ground it out, then headed down the stairs. Well, did you check if this alchemist has Twitter or Facebook, she asked as we descended. No, but I don't think the kind of info I need would be on the web. Uh, You'd be surprised. People love to post all kinds of personal stuff online, because obviously we're all dying to know what amazing things they've mixed with quinoa today. But sure, give me the names and I'll see what I can dig up. Thanks. We entered the undertown. It was split into two large areas the nearer side with the wraparound bar, the other mostly tables and the small stage. The walls were uneven brick and stone. The woodwork looked antique, but they'd slapped up some shiny new decorations over it all, and there was space-age-looking equipment for making fancy coffee and serving local brews. The place was packed tonight, unsurprising given Don's popularity and the lack of local hangout options. Fatima waved at us from the bar. An Iranian-American woman somewhere in her late 20s 
Fatima had been with Sammy for a couple of years, and she was the only person I'd ever seen who could make Sammy show her sappy and vulnerable side. Cutting it close, Fatima said as we drew near. She set down her ever-present sketch pad and pulled Sammy into her arms. Yeah, yeah, I said. Have you seen Dawn? A beautiful woman with the curves of Aphrodite and the voice of an angel. Never heard of her. Why? Ha ha, let me guess. She's doing her ritual? Yeah, she said her friends are saving you a seat up front. Great, thanks. Dawn's friends. I smiled and waved as I approached the table, where a half dozen unmistakably artistic-looking men and women sat. Uh, Some of them I even liked. Georgie and Amber in particular were a great pair, a couple of street performers that Maddie called hipsters. Doris, Tom, and Shauna were okay. And then there was Barry. He'd only moved to town a couple of months ago, uh, shortly after my own return, but had quickly charmed his way into being Mr. Popular. He had an accent that was hard to place, but might be Peruvian by way of Southern California. His tan face maintained Miami Vice stubble, and his sandy-colored hair always looked artfully messy. He gave off the vibe of an adorable puppy, the kind you'd find on the street and want to take home, and was constantly surrounded by a cloud of patchouli smell. Don certainly liked him. I didn't trust him for a minute. He wasn't wearing an Arcana ID ring or a glamour that I could detect, and he'd never attacked me or given me another excuse to violate his spiritual privacy, so if he was anything other than an obnoxious mundane, I couldn't tell. But there was something about him that just instantly set my teeth on edge. I did my best to make small talk with Georgie and Amber and Don's other friends as we all sat around the table waiting for her to perform. Thankfully, we didn't have to wait long. And once her music started, I had the perfect excuse to focus only on her. Don's music was honest, raw, and yet always left you feeling happy somehow when it was done. After the show, she came down off the stage, her smile radiant. You were awesome, I said, and gave her a kiss. Thanks, she said. I totally missed up the bridge on Slappy Dance, though. (laughs) Nobody noticed, I'm sure. Her friends all gave her praise and congratulations and ordered another round of beers. The next hour passed slowly as they drank and joked and talked about things of which I still had only a passing knowledge. Sammy and Fatima came over and joined us for a bit, then said their farewells. I stood to give them hugs. I'll drop by tomorrow, Sammy said, and gave me her usual pat-pat hug. We're house-sitting for friends in Polsbo for a couple of days, so I'll be around. She and Fatima left. I turned back around to find Barry with his hands on Don's ears, rubbing the sides of them gently. Right there, you feel that? He said. It's supposed to totally free up the creative energies. I knew every energy pathway in the body, and right then I knew that Barry was channeling his bullshit energies. Actually, Barry, I said, feeling on solid ground for the first time all evening, creative energy is focused in the throat. Maybe, Barry replied, still smiling at Don. But let me ask you, brah, weren't you moved by Don's music? Well, of course. What does that... So are your emotions like in your ears? What? No. But so, just because creativity doesn't rest in the ears, that doesn't mean that massaging them can't bring out creative energy, brah. Just like Don's awesome music massaging your ears brings out emotion, dig? No offense, Barry, but that's the dumbest thing I've heard in a while. Don sighed and placed her hands on Barry's arms, stopping him from continuing... Thanks, Barry. That felt nice, but the only thing it inspired in me was a desire for a real massage. Oh, I feel you, Barry said, and glanced between me and Don, as if sharing some inside joke. 
Heat rose up from my chest as Barry leaned back in his chair and said, Finbra, we're going over to Sarah's house for a little after party, play some rock, uh, drunk rock band, you down? I managed not to roll my eyes. Barry loved rock band because he got to show off his drumming skills. Apparently, however, it was difficult for him to stay in a real band for long. Dawn looked at me a second, then shook her head. Uh, actually, I think we're going to head home. We've both had a long day. Shame, Barry said. Guess I'll see you tomorrow at the shelter then. Oh, right, Don replied. See you there. Barry and the others stood and left. Once they were gone, I asked, So, Barry volunteers at the animal shelter now? Yeah, Don said, gathering up her things. Started last week. The dogs love him. The cats, not so much. Smart cats, I muttered. What? N nothing. So, you guys sure seem to have a lot in common. Don arched an eyebrow at me. You have no reason to be jealous of Barry. Oh, of course not. You know I'd love for you to work at the shelter with me. I've asked you before. Well, I know. Okay, how about tomorrow? Wow, Don grinned. If jealousy gets you this competitive, maybe I should have Barry take me on a weekend cruise, really up the stakes. Hilarious. And I'm not jealous. Uh-huh. We headed out the door. Come on, Romeo. Let's go home, and you can rub my ears if you want. For starters... We left the undertown and climbed the uphill slope of Washington Street, holding hands in silence. The storefronts fell behind us, replaced by houses and ivy-covered walls. Don smiled. Remember Mr. Gibson? Uh, algebra teacher who completely abused his power in class. That's the one. She pointed at the small white church that sat on the bluff. You don't remember, probably, but you and I, we crashed his wedding there and hinted to guests that we were his secret, illegitimate children. I burst out laughing. No, really? Oh, yeah. It was all your idea. I find that hard to believe. Oh, fine. Maybe it was mine. But you were always willing to get into trouble with me. Well, if you're anything then like you are now, I don't know if I had much of a choice. You're like a force of nature. Like, you know, a really beautiful hurricane. A sexami. Aw, you say the sweetest things. Don grabbed my arm, bringing us both to a stop and stepped in close. I think even back then, I wanted to do this. She leaned in for a kiss. I caught the flicker of movement from the corner of my eye. I shoved Don back just as a charging black bear crashed into me, slamming me to the ground. The impact knocked the wind out of me, and concrete and gravel scraped painfully into my elbows and palms. The bear pinned me to the sidewalk with its paws on my shoulders. It had a white V of fur on its chest and eyes that looked too human. Goodbye, meddling magus, it said with a roughened female voice. Her mouth gaped wide, and she leaned in from my neck with fangs that would give a vampire compensation issues. I dug my hands into the werebear's fur and tried to focus my will enough to summon her spirit. I was not going to be fast enough. A rock the size of my fist hit the bear in the cheek, jerking her head to the side, but not knocking her off of me. Hey, sexual harassment panda, Don shouted. Nobody eats him but me. The distraction and the surge of fear for Don gave me the time and the push I needed. My will snapped into focus. I pulled from the locus of magical energy just below my chest and summoned the bear's spirit. Summoning the spirit of someone still alive would not actually rip out the person's soul, not unless the necromancer was insanely powerful or used dark necromancy, but it hurt like hell for both the victim and the summoner. It's like placing your ear against the speaker at a spinal tap concert during the guitar feedback. Even knowing what was coming, I hadn't fully prepared myself. The explosion of sharp pain in my head, like I'd shotgunned a dozen milkshakes and then stabbed myself between the eyes with a screaming baby, 
caused the summoning to disintegrate. But it was enough. The bear roared in pain and fell to the side. The bear shimmered and shifted into the form of a beautiful Japanese woman with eight spider legs growing out of her back. A jirogumo, a shape-shifting spider fayblood. Not good. Creepy as hell, yes, but definitely not good. Run, I shouted at Don and struggled to my feet. To the post office! Don instead helped me to my feet. Then we both made a run for it together. I glanced back. The jirogumo still lay on her back, twitching. It would take longer for her to recover as the victim of the spirit yanking, but not long enough for us to reach any warded home in the neighborhood that I knew of. The post office loomed above the street like a four-story Romanesque castle made of sandstone brick, complete with tower and arched windows. It hadn't changed much, on the outside at least, since it had been built as a U.S. customs office over a hundred years earlier. "'It's closed,' Don said between panting breaths. "'Lucky for us,' I replied." and led her around to the back entrance by the loading dock. I turned my arcana ID ring around on my finger and placed the black stone into a small indent in the archway. A click, and the metal door swung open. Come on, I said, and pushed my way inside. I heard a skittering sound behind me that caused the hairs on my arms to stand up. I slammed the door shut behind us and locked it. The drogamo, or perhaps a small rhinoceros, crashed into the door, causing a hellish squealing noise as brick dust sifted down from the walls above. Ah, crap. Follow me. I led Don up the stairs to the main hall. We ran down the worn marble floor past a row of teller windows held in ornate wooden structures. It looked like the kind of place where Bonnie and Clyde might have tried to rob George Bailey, and it smelled of damp wood and paper. Another loud crash boomed from the back door as we rounded the corner into the room of post office boxes. Hand-sized rectangles of tarnished brass with multi-hued number plates covered one entire wall, matching the honey-colored wood surrounding them. I hurried over to the wall, searching for the correct two boxes. Dawn raised her eyebrows. I assume you have something magical up your sleeve and aren't just checking your mail? Uh, actually, I said, I forgot I'd ordered an Oingo Boingo tape before exile and wanted to see if it's still here. So let you concentrate then. Wouldn't hurt. I found the numbers I needed. The dates of two major Fey Arcana Wars. I touched the two plates, summoned up more magical energy, and said, Operare Ostium. A series of soft clanks and clicks vibrated the floor beneath me, and several rows of floor tiles began sinking at the floor's center, slowly forming a staircase. Too slowly. A loud crash echoed through the post office, followed by the clanging of the door bouncing across the floor, and a screech of triumph. I pointed to the stairs. As soon as those stop moving, run down them and touch the metal plate at the bottom on the wall. But, Don, just do it, please! I ran back into the main hall. The Jirogamo skittered toward me, her spider legs carrying her human form suspended above the floor. Don wouldn't escape if we fled together. I had to stop the creature so she had time to get away. I placed my hand on the nearby wall and summoned the building spirit. This was going to leave me with a Tetsuo-sized headache. Not every building has a spirit, at least not one strong enough or cohesive enough to be summoned. And spirit might not be the best word. It isn't really the same as with the living being, whose spirit grows and changes with them based on their choices and experiences. The spirit of an old building like this was more a built-up residue of often repeated emotions and strong thoughts, which, after enough time, formed a kind of patchwork ghost. The building's presence manifested, rolling over me like the heat wave from an opened oven, if what was being baked in that oven was a triple-layer emotion cake. Impatience, anticipation, dread, hope, frustration, I nearly staggered beneath the weight of it all. Spirit, I said, talking to the post office. 
Life and magic both drained from me, a sensation like spiritual peeing, except it's not very relieving to have my life trickling away bit by bit. So Such was the cost of talking to spirits. There was no response. I'd feared as much. It was too much to hope that the building would understand human speech. Dawn raised her eyebrow. <laughs> Next page. I took my fear for Dawn and myself and projected it at the spirit. And I focused that fear around the Jerogamo and then imagined fire and earthquake and rats and wild children with hammers and real estate developers, anything I thought a building might fear. The spirit rolled over me, past me, and I could sense it descending on the Jerogamo, concentrating its overwhelming presence on that creature. The Jerogamo stumbled and fell, its eight legs entangling and curling inward. She put her hands to her head and screamed. Come on, Don said behind me. I spun around. Don, damn it, run! Don held the brass pole normally used to support a rope barrier, wielding it like a club. We leave together. Fine, go, I'm... The weight of the building's fear slammed back into me, knocking me to the ground. It was not just Don's distraction. I realized I'd been a fool to think I could control it. I was no master necromancer, just a half-trained idiot, and the building spirit lashed out wildly now. I released the summoning, and the ghost dissipated. The Jorogomo rose and skittered toward me drunkenly, her woman's body swaying back and forth as her spider legs held it suspended in air. Dawn grabbed my arm, pulled up. I struggled to my feet and tried to push her back towards the escape. Too late. The Jorogomo reached us. Dawn swung hard at the nearest spider leg, a black, shell-like scythe, thick as my thigh and covered in a scattering of wiry hairs. The Jorogomo moved swifter still, jerking her leg back. And then... Jorogomo plunged her spear-like foot through Don's shoulder, slamming her to the ground. And that's where I will finish. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, we come to the question and answer portion of the evening. Um, <laughs> so, what happens next? <laughs> Actually, you get a taste of what happens next on Mary Robinette Cole's um, My Favorite Bit uh, I had a post on there, which I take a, one of the excerpts I, is from what happens shortly after that. So you can get a little peek, but the better way to get a, find out what happens next is to buy the book, Bigfoot Loose and Fame Fancy Free, available at a bookstore near you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, any other questions? <laughs> yeah, Mike. Okay. So for book one, where did the the concept come from? Was it more character driven, concept driven, um, necromancy driven? So um, <clears throat> basically, the Fin Fancy originated as an exercise. It was just me sitting down and having some fun writing because I'd been working on these huge, epic, complex, multi point of view fantasies for the previous few years. And I was kind of burned out on it. And I didn't want to do any more research for a little bit. I didn't want to do any more heavy plotting for a little bit. I just wanted to have some fun writing. So I sat down, plopped the guy that was basically me with magic, having a magical meteor fall on his head. He starts snarking about the 80s. I'm like, why is he snarking about the 80s? Why would he be doing that? Because I love the 80s, but that's not a good enough reason. So uh, because um, because he's been out of the world since the 80s. Okay. So and then it was kind of a series of why questions. Why is this magical meteor falling on his head? What's going on? And I just did basically just enough to kind of write out that initial opening scene. Um, 
and uh, and just have it was just all about having some fun, just like just magic and snark and woo fantasy. I love it. And then I took that to a workshop because it was basically what I had at the moment for anyone to read. They pretty much read anything else I had. Um, uh, well, there was an editor there, Beth Meacham, uh, the Cascade Writers Workshop, and she was reading, leading my uh, critique workshop group, and so. I took that because she'd read my thing before the year before. I was kind of like, nah, nah. Um, so I took this, and uh, she liked it. And everyone in the group liked it. And Beth was like, when you finish this book, I will read it. And I'm like, I guess I'm going to make it into a book then. So I went home, and, and over the next year and a half, I wrote it, wrote it out, and um, uh, and sent it to her. And I fully expected her to like just – I mean, I had some crazy stuff in there, werewolves and other stuff. And so I'm like, there's no way, you know, this is going to go anywhere. But, you know, she said she'd read it. I'd be a fool not to send it to her. So I sent it to her. And then I started working on my next ambitious project. Went to another workshop where I met my future agent. And, um, and shortly after that, Beth made me an offer. And, uh, and so I was like, oh. And so I reached out to that person who was my agent. And she... Uh, to her credit, didn't just grab the deal. You know, she's like, well, let me read the book. Um, so she got back to me like a week later, a week and a half later and said, yeah, I, I represent you. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> so, um, and that's, that's how Fin Fancy came to be basically. And then, yeah, now, now, and then I, and I, and obviously I hadn't planned for it. It wasn't something where I'd planned a trilogy or planned a series up front, which I'd done for everything I'd worked on before. This was completely just sort of, off the top of my head stuff, making it up and having fun as I went along. So then it was like uh, they, they ultimately – they made me a two-book offer. My agent bumped it up to three books as a, as a first three in a series. And I'm like, a series? Okay. So, uh, so that's – yeah. As I said, that's when I realized I'm going to have to flesh it out. And that's, that's – book two is all about that. It's my Empire Strikes Back. It's my laying the foundation. You know, it's kind of uh, – yeah. Uh, a little well obviously i don't know i i won't say it's as good as empire strikes back it is but i it um i'm just saying uh no that's a little egotistical of me i, I really actually i I'm, I'm happy with it i love it i adore it but I, th I think it serves the purpose for which i intended it that was a really long answer to your question all right uh other question so yeah Talk about the writers of the future thing. All right. What would you – Winnie? Okay. So um, – What happens after? Sure. Writers of the future um, is a contest for up-and-coming science fiction and fantasy writers. Um, it's it's a, sort of the premier contest in that sense. You know, there are a lot of awards, Nebula, Hugin, stuff like that, but those are for – for established works and for professional authors and stuff. And, and um, this is a contest f uh, where if you have a certain number of professional sales, and you're disqualified. You can't even enter it. So it's really all about sort of uplifting new voices and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so I had submitted stories before, um, and I always got like honor a thing called an honorable mention. And I just assumed that was sort of like you know the, the attendance award in elementary school. Like every kid is special. Here you go. Have an attendance award. Um, but it turns out you know you don't – not everyone gets an, an honorable mention when they submit. Um, and so I finally – I sub submitted the story that I knew was going to win um, and was perfect for them. And I loved that story, and I didn't get anything. I didn't even get an honorable mention. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. 
well, forget this then. So I stopped submitting to them for a while. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, it was a long turnaround for them and, and that kind of a thing. So, uh, but I finally, I was about to quote unquote pro out, meaning I had enough professional sales where I was on the verge of not being able to submit to them anymore. And I did, I had another story that I thought, okay, well this one really is perfect for them. So I sent it to them and, um, and it won. And I, I was surprised. I, I mean, I, when I got the call, I assumed that, oh, they're calling to tell me I'm a, I'm a finalist. Um, and I was a finalist. And then they called me later, and I'm assuming, okay, at best I'll get published finalist. Well, there's like a first, second, and third place winner each quarter. Um, and then there are finalists. And everyone, they'll pick one finalist out of the year to like also be a published finalist often. But I got first place in my quarter. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Um, I don't know how, but okay, cool. Uh, and so they fly you down to Los Angeles for a week. They throw – you get this workshop with Tim Power. Well, in my years, Tim Powers and um, uh, David Farland and, and um, you know, a bunch of people showed up. Uh, uh, Orson Scott Card and Kevin J. Anderson, uh, Robert Sawyer and some other folks. And then, um, and then at the end of it, it culminates in sort of this Oscar-styles award ceremony. Um, where you, you put on a tux or a ball gown, depending on how you're feeling that day. And you get up on stage and uh, accept a giant Lucite pointy award that's a good home defense weapon. And, um, uh, you, uh, and you make a little speech. And they recommend 30 seconds, especially for the writers. A lot of writers are sort of socially awkward and, and aren't you know public performers. That's why they write. They can sit quietly in the corner and write. Um, and uh, so 30 seconds is usually about perfect. I got up there and made like a seven-minute speech um, about the, 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 um, the value of fiction in allowing us to experience other lives and the, the importance of diversity in fiction and other things, which was, it was a great speech to give to that group. And then, um, I, uh, and then afterwards, it was like this weird... The whole week was they, – they treat you sort of like the celebrity you're never actually going to be. It's pretty amazing. The paparazzi follows you around. They constantly interview you. They celebrate you all week. Um, and then at the end, I, 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 they, out of the four first-place winners, quarterly winners, they choose one grand prize winner. And, but in, and you don't know who that is until they announce it. And I won the grand prize. So then I got to go up and accept that, and um, and then I was kind of in a daze for the next like fifteen twenty minutes, just wandering. And everyone wanted to shake my hand. It took me like literally like twenty minutes to get from the stage just to the little area off to the side where we were doing signings afterwards. And then um, uh, it was yeah, so it was like this really amazing experience. I'll always like really you know cherish it and appreciate it. Um, and uh, <clears throat> but but yeah, I mean it's a very valuable contest. It's um, it's uh, L. Ron Hubbard presents Writers of the Future, but there's a firewall between that and other things that L. Ron Hubbard is associated with. They never mentioned those other things the entire time I was there. So um, I think it's a really good and valuable contest and, and does a lot of good for the community. Yeah. I just really want to know, uh, did you wear a tux or a ball gown? Um, I went with tux. It was, it was a close call. Um, I, it's just mostly, I just, you know, I knew I'd, I'd totally like fall on my face if I had to wear heels. That was, you know, um, so I might, it might have been. I might have been tempted though, just in solidarity. You know, it's it's like, yeah, the the level of um, attention that is given to what the women are allowed to wear um, is much higher than for the men, and um, it's unfortunate. But yeah, there you have it. So. 
Other questions? Yeah. Um, I'm bringing it back to the book for a second. You sure. mentioned um, you didn't want to do a lot of research when you first started writing this. Did you actually go through and research the fake creatures you chose, or did you just look them up as you went along? One more time. Oh, uh, right. Um, so uh, how do I choose my fake creatures and how much research do I do? And, um, I basically go through and um, like in this scene, I'm like, I, I want a shapeshifter. I need a shapeshifter. What would be a cool shapeshifter? So then I'll just go and like, you know, Google shapeshifters and shapeshifting creatures and, or, you know, creatures of mythology and look for category shapeshifter and then those kinds of things. Um, and just read through a bunch of stuff, trying to find cool shapeshifters and try to find ones that aren't um, overdone, you know, not a werewolf. Um, and so, so that's, you know, and then it worked out really well. The Jirogamo works out well for other reasons, which if you read the book, you'll, you'll find out. But, um, uh, yeah, you know, and I try to be, try to be considered. I try not to, um, you know, uh, you know, be culturally sensitive in my choices, um, Avoid things that have serious religious significance, those kinds of things in other cultures. Um, but, but otherwise, yeah, it's more just sort of uh, okay. I need this kind of a creature in this. What would be a, a fun, either a fun or unusual creature? Like that's my that's how I that's how I do it. Um, yeah, what what would allow me to make some funny jokes? Basically, I look for ex- any excuse to make jokes. Um, other questions? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. There, there are a couple of weird Northwest creatures. There's like some cat that just runs around head-butting trees and splintering them. So like that's how they explain splintered trees in the forest. Like this giant cat that runs around just head-butting trees. And there's some other things like that that I'd love to like work in at some point, but I just haven't found an excuse to yet. Um, but yeah, I, I um, not, you know, the Jirogamo, like I said, really leaped out at me. It's like, what a cool creature. You know, and Drogomos have been featured in uh, anime a lot and, and other things. So um, so I was like, you know, that, that would be an awesome creature to be able to incorporate. Um, I have um, – but other than that, I try to if – if I do put other creatures in, I try to put a unique spin on them. I mean, or I'll make them up. Like I said, I had a Were Elvis in, in book one. Um, I have, um, you know uh, – I have a fawn in this one who wears a utila kilt and is very, um, uh, yeah, he's Don Fawn. He's, he doesn't like his name. But, in, <laughs> but what that allowed me to do is make a joke about Don Fawnson in, in the third book, so that's awesome. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, just, I just kind of take um, – in book one, for example, I knew I didn't want to do vampires and werewolves because that's been heavily done in um, urban fantasy and paranormal romance, which doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that. It's done very well, and there's a lot of writers who do it very well, but they do it very well. So I wanted to do something else, and uh, so that's why I have Sasquatches and gnomes and things like that. Um, but, but, uh, but to that point, like Pete, and if you read Finn Fancy, like you, you meet his – brother pete who thinks he's a werewolf because he was bitten by a dog when he was a kid so i like do things like that to kind of play on the the expectations and the tropes of most urban fantasy i try to anyway have fun with it basically it's all about having fun other questions yes how realistic or you know true to life is the mundane part of port townsend um it should be fairly true to life um although uh i mean 
So I've, I met someone who grew up in Port Townsend, a, a writer friend that I didn't even realize, or a friend of, uh, who I didn't realize had grown up in Port Townsend. And he read the books, and he's like, you know, you did, did pretty good. There's a couple of things. Like in this scene that I just read where she points to the white church on the bluff and said, you know, when we were young, we, we went and, and pretended to be uh, his illimate children. He's like, that church wasn't there when they were young. Um, that was, and I was like, how could it not? I mean, it looks like an old church that's sitting on this bluff, and I just assumed it had been there. Um, there's, so I've made a couple uh, minor <laughs> mistakes like that um, unknowingly, um, and, and, and every once in a while I find out something really cool. Like there's this really cool theater in Port Townsend called Rose Theater. Um, it's like a really old feeling theater, um, small theater downtown. The proprietors are the types that get up in front and before each screening and gives you like this big story, the backstory of everything and are very knowledgeable and really in, you know, like you get your money's worth, you know? Um, and I assume that was the old theater in town. Um, cause it feels like the old theater, but it actually, it's the newer theater. There's another theater. It's the old theater. that's uptown. <laughs> But more than that, before it was a theater, apparently it was a taxidermy shop, and they had all kinds of cool, weird, interesting things in the windows, including a live monkey. And I'm like, how did I not know this before I wrote fin- – I mean that, that's the kind of stuff that is so perfect for the Fin Fancy series that I would you – know, I'll have to work in at some point that they were you – know, that they were magicals, of course, and their monkey was a talking monkey or something. I'll figure it out. But um, you know uh, – this, but the town itself lends itself so well to being a magical town. It's just full of these Victorian, old Victorian buildings, um, a lot of houses with these wild, great, overgrown gardens that look totally look like a witch garden. Um, you know, uh, it's just and there's Fort Warden nearby, which is this uh, used to be a. It's now a state park. Used to be a um, a base um, and has all of these bunkers with these labyrinthine. Um, uh, tunnels running underneath them, um, so it's just it's just a perfect place for for lots of magical wackiness to be taking place. Yeah, go go check it out if you can. Port Townsend, Washington. I'm I'm not. I, I get twenty five cents every time someone. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Do you? Uh, yeah. 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 We'll 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 coordinate on uh, sharing uh, promotional costs. Um, other questions? No pressure. Yes. You mentioned initially that you were working on like epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. And you got kind of tired with the research. Has has working on this kind of rejuvenated that writing bug in you? It, it has. So the question is, uh, you know, has, has I kind of got burned out from writing the big complex epic fantasies which is why i wrote fin fancy has writing this series now kind of and having fun with it rejuvenated that and it absolutely has um you know i love fantasy it's what i read as a young lad growing up um uh, escaping into fantasy worlds um walking around with my nose in a book at all times and um and just that the joy of a lot of those early fantasies of escaping and the magic and the adventure and that's kind of what i was trying to recapture fin fancy and 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 definitely and now that i want to go back and work uh you know after fin fancy or concurrent with fans fancy once i get the hang of writing a book a year on deadline and then maybe somehow on top of day job and everything else squeezing in more writing on top of that um if i can do that um uh, epic fantasy um i have a really a second world uh epic fantasy that i'm really excited to to start working on and um i really want to put a 
but sort of a positive spin. There's a lot of sort of the grim dark out there, right? The George R. R. Martin, Joe Abercrombie, um, which are all, uh, you know, great stuff, obviously. Um, uh, Scott Lynch, you know, they all write really good, you know, me- meaty, gritty stuff. But I, I, I want to write something that uh, has, has some of that elements, but is a little more uplifting and, and fun um, in an epic fantasy again. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming, especially on caucus night here in Colorado. I appreciate that. Um, and uh, I will be happy to sign uh, books and, uh, and then hang out with you after and chit-chat for sure. Thank you all. That's all for tonight's Author on Tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.